Hi, and welcome to my podcast, The Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm glad you found me. I'm Renee Beery, and I love empowering women to take on home projects, both large and small. I have been the only girl on the job site for the past 27 years, and I have seen it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. With my help, I hope you will be able to avoid the mistakes I've seen in the past and go into your project confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your project is as smooth and successful as possible. Today, we will take on the very first step, how to find and hire a contractor. So you may say to yourself, oh, I know a bunch of contractors. All my girlfriends use company XYZ. Well, that may be true, but that doesn't necessarily make them the best fit for you. Your girlfriends might have taken on smaller projects or larger projects. For instance, I have multiple contractors that I work with, and they're not all a good fit for all my jobs. I have a man and a helper and he does my small work. And he will actually say, no, Renee, that's too big for me. Now, I respect that because he's being professional, but a lot of them wouldn't necessarily say that, especially if they needed the income. I have another group, huge construction company, multiple teams with multiple supervisors. They wouldn't be a good fit for my small jobs. Would they take them on? Sure, they would. But then you're gonna get that extra level of fees that's not required to take on that project. Then there's companies that have one or two teams. They would be the sweet spot for the midpoint projects. But again, you really need to find the best fit for you and your project. So definitely ask around. Don't go on a Google search. (laughs) You go into any city and you Google contractors. Good Lord, I actually don't even know how many you would find, but it would be so overwhelming and so full of yuck that it would just be a waste of your time. So you do want to ask around. Now, if you're new to a town, you don't know a lot of people, ask your colleagues at work. If you're taking on something like a painting project, go into a local Benjamin Moore or Sherwin-Williams store and ask for their referrals. They know all the top painters in town. That would be a good step as far as a contractor. Don't go into a Lowe's or a Home Depot. That won't be a good fit. But if you go into a building supply store, ask them. Those are the guys selling the lumber to the contractors. So then you've done that, right? You've been given four or five names. What you want to make sure you ask is the size of the project that your friend or colleague worked on. Don't ask about cost because that's irrelevant and probably wouldn't be a good indicator of the value of this company. But second, make sure it's within the last, say, three to five years. Every contractor I've worked with has had changes in staff. It just happens. It's just the nature of that business. So just because your best friend had the most amazing experience with a team six, seven years ago, definitely doesn't mean those people are still working for these same contractors doesn't make it a bad thing. It just, that's the nature of the business. So you want to get referrals from people in the last, ideally three years, but probably five would be safe. Now is the Google time. So you go on, you've got say three to five names. You go in and you Google search them and you do read the reviews. Keeping in mind, there's always going to be bad reviews. Always. Doesn't mean that the project was terrible. 
it may, but it doesn't always mean that. What it could mean is that someone had a gripe and it wasn't handled well. But definitely note it down, put it in the file under their name so that you can even ask about it. I wouldn't necessarily get into specifics, but you can just say, hey, this is what I read. There was a person out there that said X, Y, and Z. Can you comment on that? Can you tell me a little bit more why this happened? Give them a shot. I can assure you there are times where the contractor is completely not at fault and the client is being ridiculously entitled or where the client is being outrageous in their expectations and demands. So it isn't always the contractor's fault. Sometimes it is. So that's what you have to get to the bottom of. The second is you call them yourself. Everybody's referral, everybody's experiences will be separate and different from yours. You're a different person. You're a different personality. You have different family setups at home. You name it, you will be unique to your friend's projects. What does that mean? Okay, so your friend gives you the contractor's cell phone number, typically. You call them at 10 o'clock in the morning. Well, they're working. They're probably on a job site. That's not a good time to ask them for 10, 15 minutes of their day. Set up an appointment. Say, hey, I was given your name by Jane Smith. She loved the work you did for her family room two years ago. The project I'm taking on is X, and I would love to talk further to you. Can you tell me a good time where we can have a short conversation about how we could work together? That gives the contractor time to say, hey, listen, call me in the evening, or I have an office morning hours on Mondays. That way you have them sitting calmly. They're not necessarily standing on a job site with machines going on around them and guys standing around waiting for direction. They're not going to be short on the phone with you. I've had more people call me and say, well, he didn't seem to have the time for me. Well, sure, he didn't. He was working. Now, contractor should have said, hey, Mrs. Jones, I don't have the time to talk. They're not always going to do that. You can't rely on that. You go in knowing that you need to set up an appointment. It also makes it much more professional. They'll take you more seriously and say, hey, this woman really wants to talk to me. I better make the time. So the other thing you need to do while you're on the phone with them is listen. Listen very hard. Do you like the person? Are they easy to talk to? Are they despondent or not paying attention even though you've made this appointment? Are they a little pushy? a little overly anxious. These are things that you need to listen. I say, listen between the lines. Same as reading between the lines, but unfortunately you can't read it. But what you want to go over with them are things like licensed and bonded. Chances are they are all going to be that, but it's something that you need to check the box with. Do they have their own team? Do they work with subcontractors? Most of the mid to small guys will all work with subcontractors. That's not a big deal necessarily. Even the big guys will work with subcontractors, but you want to know. So if you're hiring company X, but they're subbing out the work to plumber Y and an electrician Z, you need to know who those people are. Now, the problem is in the bigger companies, they don't always sub out to the same guys. It depends on their workload, but you do want to know, okay, my electric's going to be handled by this other company. I better look into that other company. Are there any issues? Same goes for the small guys. Typically, the small guys have the same team, and that's mainly because they take on smaller projects. They work one at a time. That's easier to do some homework on. 
because it's typically one electrician that they always work with and one plumber that they always work with. Painters typically have their own, their own guys, but not always. You want to know about that. You just want to be aware. It's not necessarily a bad thing. You just want to be aware. The other is critical, schedule and timing. Right now, where I am, everyone is overwhelmed with work. I called one of my guys and he told me, love to do the project. It'll be two to two and a half months before I can even start. And that's assuming nothing goes wrong on the projects he's working on. That's not normal. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. Our economy's booming and people are chugging away. But you want to know because chances are you've been dreaming about this project for years and saving for years. And now you're ready to go. And I used to tell people who work for me, just assume that you are six months behind when the phone call comes in because at least six months ago, they were planning this project. And it's true. They're raring to go and you're on the other line going, hi, my name is Renee. And you're just trying to get your your footing, let alone jumping into this project on day one. So that's important. Then it's a little hard to do on the phone, but I would ask about timing. Say you're doing a bathroom renovation. You say to the contractor, I am doing a full scale bathroom renovation. Everything is getting demoed out. Everything is getting put in. How often does that usually take you? They should be able to gauge. They might give a pretty wide gauge, like three to five weeks or six to nine weeks, but at least it gives you a threshold and something to sort of start mentally preparing for. The other is a payment schedule. You know, everybody runs their projects differently and it drives me crazy because there are very few industry standards. Some people want, you know, progress payments or deposit and then progress payments. Some people want monthly payments. Some people want it as it's completed. You know, everybody's going to be different. And that may be a conditioning factor. If you have three guys and you like the payment schedule of one over the other two and they all seem pretty even, maybe that's how you decide. You know, it's all going to be different and specific to your project. Lastly, you want to meet these guys. You absolutely want to meet them in person. So you want to have them out to your house. Ideally, if you are married, when your spouse is there so that they can also meet them. And possibly even if there's kids and dogs, things like that, the the contractor needs to know what's he walking into. Okay, I'm displacing a family of four really active, small kids. This is going to be really high stress for them. Or they walk in and say, oh, this is a retired couple. They've got time on their hands. So long as I'm neat and clean, you know, I won't be disrupting kids getting off to, bre- off to school in the morning and, and an early breakfast. You know, so things like that are important on both ends. But most important is you like the person. And that sounds cheesy and corny and I get it. But most projects will take at least a month unless you're doing a small painting project. You better like the person that's coming into your house every day, Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturdays, depending on the level of work and how how often most of my guys will work on Saturdays if they're allowed. I have been a part of many projects where the homeowner doesn't really like the person. It does not end well because there's a lack of communication. There's a lack of trust. You sort of just kind of sick of each other. So you really do need to like the person. And also keep in mind, the person selling the job to you in the bigger companies is not going to be the person that you're working with day in and day out. You need to ask, who's the super supervisor on my project? 
that's the person you need to know about, not the marketing team at the high that sits in the office, you know, week in and week out, not the, you know, sometimes there's project managers above the supers that come out maybe once a month and sort of check in and make sure everything's you know, up, to, up to speed. You want to know who's the guy coming in every day who's going to spend time in your house interacting with you and presumably your family on some level. These are all very critical points. Once you've decided and hired a contractor, the very next step is preparing. Okay, what does that mean? Well, of course you're prepared. You've been thinking about this for months on end. Yay, I'm so excited. Project started. Great contractor. Super excited. No, no. I mean preparing mentally and physically. That means preparing yourself, your spouse, if you have one, your children, your pets for an invasion. Because that's really, truly, I don't mean to you know, scare anyone, but that's really what it is. You will have people in your house from maybe as early as 7 a.m. to about 3.30 or 4 every day, or at least most days of the week, depending on where you are in the project. So what does that mean? It means you got a bunch of strangers hanging around who may or may not be people you choose to hang out with day in and day out. So the best thing I can say is over-prepare. So that goes back to the contractor. You talk to him about points of entry. Where do you want them to come in every day? Is it the front door, the back door, through the garage, around the side? Who knows? Whatever access points you have. But make it specific and you choose. Now, if you say the front door and the contractor is like, you know, that's going to be a real pain and I'll tell you why. And there are legitimate reasons why he feels coming in through the garage is a better point of, of entry. And maybe that's, it's closer to the job where they're working or they can park their trucks in there or they can leave supplies in there. Those are all valid points and you should listen to them. But point of entry is important. How are they going to get in? Are you leaving the door unlocked? Are you going to open the door for them every day? Lock up after they leave? Because if so, and your project is three weeks long, you've now committed every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to be up, dressed, and opening that door at whatever hour it is. And it's usually between 7 and 8 a.m. You might be trying to get kids off to school. You might be trying to get yourself off to work. You might be doing exercise. You might be doing a whole host of things. So let's make sure that you're in charge of it and you determine how they're getting in. The second is, how are they going to protect surfaces? Unless it's a ground-up construction, you wouldn't be living there anyway. They're going to be surfaces that they have to use and go over or under or around that they're not touching. So how are those protected? That can mean Luan on the floor and plastic on the walls. You can have zipper access into doorways. You know, all sorts of things can be done. Most contractors have a preferred way of doing it. Maybe that's something you discuss in the phone calls. But no matter what, that needs to be discussed. And again, that's so you can be prepared. So if they're coming through the front hall, and for instance, you have a living room and a dining room on either side, and they don't touch those rooms, you're going to want those plastic off. But wait a minute, do you use those rooms? Do you need to get them into them during the project? That has to be discussed. Because what happens is, they will plastic off the entire space and then the homeowner will peel back the tape and think, oh, I'll just tape it right back up. Well, every time you, you know, pull the tape off, walk into that room, walk back out of the room, you are dragging dust, debris, et cetera, in there. 
And chances are you're not sealing it up as tight as a contractor would. So then, you know, something, it gets covered in dust, you get upset, you think, oh, this contractor didn't protect my surfaces, when in fact, it just wasn't well protected because you didn't specify, hey, I need to go into those rooms and I need an access. So maybe a zipper is a better idea, or you guys can come up with something, you know, directly in the house at the time. The second is, who takes all that away? Presumably, the contractor will, but you've just got to make sure. The worst thing you can do on a project is assume because no two contractors really work alike. And sometimes they put it in their paperwork and sometimes you don't pay attention. And I've had countless clients call me and say, oh my God, Renee, I didn't see that they won't do fill in the blank. It happens. There are signatures on it. There's really nothing they can do other than ask a favor. And more often than not, a contractor will say yes, but they don't have to. If you've read, quote, read the contract and signed off on it, they can say, sorry, that's on you. The other is simple things that make a huge difference. Where can they park? Can they park in front of the house? Can they park in the driveway? Where in the driveway? Because there's nothing more aggravating than the phone calls I get from a client who says, I couldn't get out of my garage this morning because the contractor didn't pull seven inches to the right the way we had specified. Got to make it clear. Got to make it clear and make them stick to it. They were late to work. They were super upset. The contractor didn't mean it for goodness sakes. Got to communicate. Got to communicate. The other is facilities. Everybody needs to use a bathroom during the day. I don't know of a single contractor that keeps a very neat toilet. I'm sorry. I love my contractors. I don't know what it is, but they don't. So best to designate, if you're going to let them use one of your toilets, designate which one and assume the worst. It will be dirty. It just will. If the project's big enough, you might want to consider a porta potty. That way it's contained, it's outside, and it's a line item in your budget that you will probably appreciate in the end. They also need access to sinks and water. Some of it is for, you know, if it's a painter, they actually need the water for prep and cleanup. Where is that going to be? Is it going to be the kitchen sink? Well, maybe not. But if it's not there, then, then designate where. Again, be in charge. Be thorough. Communicate. Everything as, you, as much as you can up front will make your life so much easier. Another question is smoking. I swear, it seems to be the only industry where these guys still smoke. It is what it is. I have had clients freak out because the guys are smoking directly outside their front door. I don't blame them. They're not smokers. The, the homeowners aren't smokers. They don't want that smell in their house. Designate where. Also designate cigarette butts. I can't tell you the number of times I have gone on a job site and seeing cigarette butts. And I'm picking them up because, ew, doesn't necessarily want, I don't necessarily want my client to have to do it. And then I go inside and go, who the heck left their cigarette butts? It has nothing to do with anything other than bad habits. Some clients think it's very disrespectful. And you know, maybe sometimes it is. But I tell you what, I would say more often than not, it's just they're not thinking it through. They usually throw it on the ground, stub it out, walk back in. They're not necessarily going to remember, oh, right, this lady said I have to put my cigarette butts in this location. 
I had clients get little buckets of sand and say, this is where they go. And actually it worked because it was obvious. Everybody knows what a bucket of sand is. You put your cigarette butt in, you walk away. So again, these are things that seem trivial, but can add to a level of aggravation that you already will be experiencing when these people are in your home for an extended period of time. So if you can remove any other little issues and things that sort of just pick at you over time that wear you out. Another is pets. I have a dog. Most of my clients have a pet of some sort. My dog is super friendly to the point of annoying. I have contractors who are afraid of dogs, but most of my contractors, whether they're afraid or not, just don't want to be bothered with them. They don't want the hassle. They don't want to worry, oh my God, is this dog going to run out the door as I'm trying to load things in? They don't want, you know, a dog jumping on them. They want to just get in, get their work done and leave. On the other side, I don't want my dog getting snacks from the nice guys at lunchtime. I don't want them eating, you know, my, my dog eating a piece of a ham and cheese sandwich because the guy thinks it's fun. I don't want to worry about my dog running out. So what do you do? So a couple of things. For instance, I crate train my dog. I would probably put her in the crate if I was not home. That being said, if I'm going to be gone at my office, uh, outside of house for eight hours, and you typically let your dog roam in whatever, the kitchen area, the mudroom area, the laundry room, maybe that's the area that's designated off limits. Because to put a poor dog in a crate for eight hours or seven hours a day or whatever it is, would just seem cruel. And over time, you'll get tired of it because you'll feel badly. The other is outside. Some clients are like, oh, I'll just leave my dog outside in the fenced-in yard. Okay, if that's what they do, that's fine. But do the contractors need to get back there for any reason whatsoever and think hard? Maybe they need access one day to this one area to get into the basement. You don't want them leaving that gate open a nanosecond more than they have to, and the dog gets out. And then you get the call, you're panicking because the dog is running around the neighborhood. So these are things that are really important. I've had clients with cats. We didn't even know they had them. One contractor came in, he's deathly allergic to cats. He spent 10 minutes in the house. He's like, I got to get out of here. They must have a cat. Sure enough, their daughter had brought a college a cat home from college. I didn't even know about it. It was up in the daughter's room, but it was in the house enough that the guy could sense it and it made him you know, have a a reaction. So these are all seemingly silly things that will give you hiccups in a project. And if you have enough over time, your project will wear on you and drag you down and chances are not be an enjoyable experience. The last thing I want to leave you with is something that people talk a lot about, feel like it brings a lot of aggravation to a project, sours the job, whatever term you want to use, and that's the punch list. So a punch list, in case you didn't know, I have no idea why they call it a punch list, other than probably contractors are so annoyed by them, they want to punch the list. I I don't know. But what it's supposed to be is a list of items that were in the scope of work that need further attention to get approved. What does that mean? So that means if you're doing a painting project and they missed a spot, okay, you write down dining room, window trim on the left window, on the side, you know, needs, needs another coat of paint. That's a pretty generic average punch list item. What a punch list is not supposed to be 
are add-ons. So let's say this painting project in the dining room. So let's say they were supposed to paint the trim, but not the walls. All of a sudden you want the walls painted. That's not a punch list item. And if you put it on a punch list item, the contractor will get really annoyed because he's going to say, wait a minute, they didn't pay me to paint the walls. Why am I now being asked to do it at the end of the project? So items like that need to be added on to, ideally, in the very beginning, so you're not holding up the project. And also so the contractor has the right number of days, hours, and manpower lined up to accomplish it. But the other issue with a punch list that I have seen, unfortunately, is a six-page punch list. That really should never happen, ever. A six-page punch list to a contractor, in my experience, feels like a gotcha moment. Like, I've been waiting for this, and this is all the stuff you screwed up. If there are enough items to fill six pages, what you did wrong was you didn't communicate during the process. Okay, so let's go back to the dining room, the paint thing. Okay, so there's a spot on the left side of the left window, right, that just didn't get painted thoroughly. Let's say you changed the color from blue to white. You see a little blue coming through. That's legit. You may not have seen it either, right? Because it's not obvious. It's not like there's a blue dot. It's just sort of if you get up, you know, reasonably close, but not with a microscope, you see a little blue come through. That's punch list. Now, if you did see blue from five feet away and they clearly missed something, you should say it along the way. Hey, guys, I noticed X, Y, and Z. Could, could you address that? They're going to say, of course. Sorry we missed it. So the best way to communicate that is typically with a contractor. Sometimes people get into issues because they'll tell the, the guy doing the work directly. He may forget. Quite frankly, he may not speak English well. He may not understand what you just said. He may not know if he's allowed to do it. He may, you know, all sorts of things. It's really not his job to make the judgment call. You need to go to the person in charge. That may be the super on the project. So if it's a painting issue, that may be the painting contractor, not the guy holding the brush. But those are the kinds of things that you want to be speaking about as the project goes on. Don't just say, oh, okay, I'll add that to the punch list at the end. And you may not be intending to do it as a gotcha, but it doesn't help the project along. And plus, if someone gives you, if a contractor is given a six-page punch list, you can count on weeks to get that all accomplished. You don't want to. When you get to the end, I promise you this, you want it to end. You will have survived a, a really stressful time and you will want those guys out of your house. So the best advice I can give is to do it along the way. As you see things, I don't necessarily mean, you know, each day you, you mention three or four things, unless it's really a problem, but maybe if you're having weekly meetings or you check in, you know, the, the guy says, shoot me a text. You send him a text and you say, hey, I noticed point A, point B, and point C. That gives him the time to go and look himself, see if he agrees, and then address the situation. Lastly, what I always tell my clients is there are stages, emotional stages of a project. Everyone laughs at me when I tell them this. And then in the end, they go, oh my God, you're totally right. 
I don't necessarily want to be right, but this is what I have witnessed. So like I said in the beginning, you have been thinking of this project long before the contractor walks on the job. So the minute the contractor walks on the job, you are so excited. I mean, so excited, right? You have done all your research. You have all these grand visions of what this project will mean and do and add to your life. And that is fabulous. That's what we want. That's what every contractor, designer, you name it, that's what we want. And then the project starts and everybody's excited. A couple of weeks in, demo's done or, you know, all of the, the setup is all done and it's messy. And God, it's messy. And there's guys all over the house and they're talking, you hear phones ringing, some of them play music, some of them play music in different rooms or different music in different rooms. And it's annoying. There is dust everywhere, even in the rooms that they're not working on, because guess what? It travels through your air conditioning and heating systems. So fatigue sets in. Fatigue can last a long time depending on the length of your project. And fatigue takes many levels. The worst is if it gets to anger. And anger typically comes when something goes wrong. By something going wrong, I mean their cost overruns. There was a hidden surprise issue with a pipe in a wall. You didn't know there was a pipe. Now you got to move it or change your plan. Most people end up moving it because come hell or high water, they're not changing their plan. Or something goes wrong in the relationship between you and the contractor. That could be a whole host of things. So if it gets to anger, my experience, and I have been a part of those, is everybody loses. The client loses, the contractor loses, and the project loses. Projects always end, no matter what. You know, I have some clients who would probably disagree with me as they're still working through issues, but they do actually end. But anger really doesn't serve anyone any good. So my hope is with these podcasts, with some of the courses and programs I offer, that we can avoid anger. I probably can't get you to avoid fatigue because they can be exhausting. And everybody has their own threshold of tolerance for a construction project. And sadly, you probably think it's higher than it really is. And until you go through it, you really won't know. And I know that's a frustrating thing to say, but it's very truthful. Having been a part of countless projects with countless clients, with countless different personalities, there really are no two that are the same. The last stage is sort of a combination of relief, excitement again, mostly, you know, I don't know how to best put it, but it's usually relief. The hope is that it's wrapped up with joy in the finished project. And I say that because relief is okay, right? You're relieved it's over. You're relieved that you don't have to spend any more money. You're relieved that these guys aren't in your house anymore. You're relieved that the, the mess and the dust has come somewhat to an end. I will say, and I forewarn everyone for months afterwards, you will find dusts in other spaces because it's still in your vents. If it's a really big project, you might want to investigate and invest in having your air conditioning ducts cleaned out. But even still, that stuff, that micro dust from drywall is, it gets everywhere. It's just pervasive. But 
what I do tell clients, and I really truly believe this, and, and all of my experience has told me that this does happen, about six months after the end of the project, you start forgetting. You start forgetting some of the issues, unless a job went really, really bad. And I am thrilled to say I could probably count two in 27 years that have gone really, really bad. But you just sort of start forgetting. Someone might remind you, but for the most part, you're, you're in the space, you're using it, it's working exactly the way you want, it met your expectations, and you've moved on. So all I can say is preparation is key. From hiring the contractor, to preparing your house and your family, to finalizing a punch list at the end. These are things that if you take on in the right way, in an open and communicative way, everyone wins. And really, that's what you want. You really want everyone to win. It is a collaboration. It's not a contractor versus client situation. You guys are on the same team with the same goals and with just different skill sets. And your skill set hopefully will rise listening to, to my experiences and my advice from what I have seen over the past you know, 20 some years from everything from small projects to whole home constructions ground up. So thank you for joining me. If you have any further questions, keep listening. We're going to break down more each week, pick up specific topics and cover them in you know, greater detail than even we did today. But I thank you for listening and I hope you learn the foundations of a construction project. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me. You can email me or direct message me through social media and we can start a conversation about what it is you're going through right now. That will also help me come up with other ideas for future podcasts that I can share with everyone as I assure you we're all in the same boat together. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave me a review. If you would like to find out more about me and what I can do, please go to my website, www.devignedesign.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon.